You ready to do an intro? I don't have a script in front of me. I was going to do it. All you have to do is say your name. I am a theatrical person. <laughs> I need a script. I'm not an improv performer. Hey. This is Rory. You're listening to Wait to Panic, a podcast where two friends take turns trying to scare one another shitless. This week, uh, I'm doing it. Anastasia's on break, and I brought Rory, my lovely fiance, to help me out. So, yay! Hello, Rory. <laughs> yeah, I gotta catch up to Blake here. Blake's been on the podcast multiple times, two or three times. Yeah. Yeah, I actually don't know the exact count at this point, but many times, and we very much appreciate his guesting. Well, I will try to fill his shoes and <laughs> Anastasia's shoes. But... Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you will do a wonderful job. Uh, so do you have a happy for the week? Do I have a happy? Hmm, maybe I should pull a Lauren here and be like, oh, I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> okay. Uh, did I want you to be a guest on yeah. the podcast? Was this my plan? Oh. Well, let's see. Uh, I guess happy for... This is kind of a like week long slash in process happy, but we have ordered. Uh, this is going to be great for the podcast <laughs> listeners, you know? Just like things very specific <laughs> yeah. to our home, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, <laughs> we have a little entryway nook that we need need a bench for so that we can sit down and put our shoes on when we're in entering and exiting. And, mm -hmm as well as a coat rack. So those are on the way, and they should be here within the next week. So that's happy. That's the next big item on our home to-do list. That's super happy. I like it. I'm very happy about them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that's a good one. Uh, do you have a happy? I do have a happy. You gave me enough time to think about oh. it, so I didn't have to go, uh, <laughs> for 20 minutes. Uh, my happy is that today... I So I recently shared that I've started learning mandolin on the podcast, and uh, today I got to hang out with a couple of my coworkers that also play musical instruments, and we did a little virtual jam session where they tolerated me fumbling through very poor mandolin chords, uh, but it was super fun. Yeah, that's my happy. Great. <laughs> <laughs> If you ever hear a weird silence, yeah. it might be that I am miming to Rory that he should say a word. <laughs> as as he stated to me many times, uh, I'm a theatrical person. I'm not an yeah. improv person. Where's my script? <laughs> Gotta have the script in front of me. <laughs> Are you uh, ready to hear a weird story? Absolutely. Okay. So today is kind of a three in one. Um. I've been working on the whole FBI's Most Wanted Women series, and a few of them, while interesting, turned out shorter than I expected, but what's very, very interesting to me is that they all happened the same year and they're all kind of connected. So I lumped them all into one big section and we're going to talk about them today. Yeah, so it's kind of like a triple header, which means I've basically done the same amount as ah, Blake, right? I, you know, is that how that works? I, I think I'll let you and Blake duke that yeah. one out, <laughs> but I'll allow it if they're fine with it, sure. Uh, so today we're going to talk about Catherine Ann Power, 
Susan Edith Sachs, and Angela Davis. All right. I will try to keep them straight. I will say their names a whole bunch of times to try and help. I'll have to create some like acronyms. Catherine, <laughs> Catherine and Power. Cap. Cap. Yeah, that'd, be, <laughs> that'd be the easy way to go. Susan E. The Sacks. Sess. <laughs> and then we've got Ad. So you've got Cap, Sess, Ad. There you go. There's Cap, your acronyms. Sess, and Ad. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And See now we will not say those acronyms yeah, exactly. any more times in the podcast. Okay. Okay, so diving on in, I'm just going to start with Catherine, and I, you've listened to the podcast, you know I like to start chronological and work up to things, so we're starting with Catherine and her birth. So Catherine was born January 25th, 1949, uh, she was the third of seven kids in an Irish Catholic middle class family in Denver, Colorado. So both of her parents uh, were employed, they, they both worked. Uh, her father was a bank credit manager, and her mom was a registered nurse. So Catherine did what every middle-class Catholic family might do, and she went and joined some after-school programs to fill up her time <laughs> while her parents were busy. Uh, so she joined the Girl Scouts. So while with the Girl Scouts, uh, Catherine did a whole bunch of things and ultimately ended up getting a scholarship to Mary Crest Girls High School, which was an all-girls Catholic high school. Uh, where she later graduated valedictorian. So it worked out super well for her, all of her after-school activities. So 1967, we're, we're jumping a bunch. There wasn't a huge <laughs> amount of early life. Uh, 1967, Catherine started her freshman year at Brandeis University on a full scholarship. So Brandeis University is a non-sectarian research slash liberal arts university in Massachusetts. It was founded in 1948 by the American Jewish community at a time when, and this is straight from their website, uh, at a time when Jews and other ethnic and racial minorities and women faced discrimination in higher education. Brandeis University welcomed talented faculty and students of all backgrounds and beliefs from the moment it opened its doors. That's pretty mm. dang cool. Yeah, that's good. You said this was early 60s? Uh, late 60s. Late 60s. But yeah, still pretty yeah. freaking rad. Um, midst of the, the civil rights movement in America. So. And Vietnam War. Yeah. Which leads us to our yeah. next point. Uh, so, oh. so Catherine started out at Brandeis as a sociology major during the anti-Vietnam War protests. And she, due to her interest in sociology, ended up very active in anti-Vietnam War um, protests and activities on campus. She was generally known for wandering campus, both braless and barefoot, which I am equal parts proud and jealous of her for, uh, and for regularly attending protest rallies organized by the Students for a Democratic Society, and her heavy involvement in the Brandy Strike Info Center, where she and her roommate and future accomplice, Susan Edith Sachs, were part of the National Student Strike Force Committee. Mm, okay. The stories have already converged. They're converging. <laughs> They're like waves in the ocean. Uh, so the National Student Strike Force was an organization that advocated strikes for students as a way to protest the Vietnam War, as well as being a group that supported the Black Panthers. Okay. So strikes in terms of like... Skipping class or skipping like, class, and doing demonstrations instead. The closest related thing nowadays that I have found was the climate strike 
that Greta, whose uh, last name I'm not going to remember how to pronounce, Thunberg. 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 Yeah. Um, Greta. Yeah. That Greta started. So okay. that kind of. All right. Act. Okay. So that's the back room on Catherine. We got that. All right. Now should we go to uh, Susan? We've yeah, already seen Susan. a little glimpse of her. <laughs> There's even less known about Susan's early life. And just to clarify, all of these women are still alive. They're all in their mid to late 70s. Um, so I might say was and is and mix up my tenses, but they're all still alive. They're here in the world. Right. Um, and they, they all ended up on the FBI's most wanted list. All in the same year. All in the, all same, in year. the same year. Okay, so Susan was born January 18th, 1949. So she was Catherine's elder by exactly seven days. Yeah, one week. Say January birthdays. Mm -hmm. They're all going to school together. That makes sense. They all end up on the the most wanted (laughs) list in the same year at the same time. Uh, I don't know what they put in the water out at Brandeis (laughs) University because they all also went to Brandeis. Okay. Um, Two of them were roommates. Two of them were roommates. Up with the third. Um, so Susan, um, all that I found about her personal life is that she is a lesbian and she described herself as a lifelong radical activist, intersectional in outlook since back in the day when we just expressed it as the idea that everything is connected. And she is a current active writer on medium.com, which I will link to in the sources. She has a lot of political articles out there that were quite interesting and i only read two of them so it's kind of fascinating finding a a fbi's most wanted list person that is actively writing on the internet yeah Yeah. Yeah. i I feel like i just keep learning things with this weird series i I did not none of it's going the way i thought it was going to go (laughs) i will say i thought i was just going to tell a bunch of really weird stories like the very first one and instead, it's turned into me learning a lot of information. Yeah. yeah. I'm interested to find out what they get on this list for. I know. I'm assuming it's not just being braless and barefoot on campus. That no, would be a weird though thing I, to I get wouldn't on put that. it past the U.S. for that. Yeah, but, you time, know. Well, at the time, I said, <laughs> I mean, let's now, be real here. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you want to know more about why they got on it? Well, I don't want to interrupt the fourth Oh, no, that's the next thing. That's that's why. We're getting on there before we get to the third? Yeah. Uh, I've already forgotten the third. That's fine. I'll I'll remind you when we get to her. You remembered the acronym, acronym. but you didn't remember her name. (laughs) I suppose that's what mnemonics are for. Um, Okay. So, yeah, we're going to talk about what... So, Catherine and Susan got on the list at the same time. So, we're going to talk about what got them onto the list, and then we'll talk about Angela. Okay. Okay. So Catherine and Susan were roommates. They were both active in the National Student Strike Force. um, And through their involvement with organizing protests and different rallies and events for the National Student Strike Force, they ended up meeting a man named Stanley Ray Bond. So Stanley was an ex-convict slash ex-private first class in the U.S. Army, um, having served in Vietnam. And he had enrolled at Brandeis through a government-sponsored program for ex-convicts on parole. Okay. Could not find out what he was an ex-convict for. So if anyone finds the answer, email us. Uh, 
Stanley and Catherine ended up dating during their time at Brandeis. I don't know exactly for how long, but they were involved at the time of the FBI Most Wanted list. So because Catherine and Susan knew Stanley, they ended up getting swept up into a plot to arm the Black Panthers as a response to U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War. So basically, he introduced them to his fellow ex-convicts, William Gilday and Robert Valeri, and they had a very bad social club. <laughs> the, the things that they decided they wanted to do together were bad things. Yeah. Uh, so September 20th, 1970, the I called them the Ferocious Five some because I like alliteration. Yeah. Uh, they went and they robbed a National Guard armory in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Ah, Okay. Not good hobbies. Yeah. Uh, So from their robbery, they took away 400 rounds of ammo, multiple weapons, and they lit the armory on fire and caused other property damage to the tune of $125,000 at the time, which in today's dollars is $839,155.93. You said this was a five sum up against a National Guard armory. How did they? I have to no do that? idea. <laughs> it had to have been the least guarded armory yeah. in the world. Like it, it didn't say that they had any strategy for getting in there. That they had any like weapons or anything. There was no explanation in the sources that I found. Which, to be fair, this is a little bit of a scatterbrained research. A lot of my sources are Wikipedia <laughs> on this one. Thank you, Wikipedals. But even still, I have yeah. no idea how they went up a nas- against a National Guard armory and won. Yeah, and I wouldn't imagine that even in 1970 that like like security might have been less in those days. But at a National Guard armory, you you think where they keep all of their arms? Like, they they would guard like, it. Yeah, <laughs> it's in the name, right? Yeah, National Guard. Special guest appearances from Coda, because I can't edit her out of this one when we're using the same mic. (laughs) If you hear little puppy noises, that's Coda. Enjoy. Okay, so so yeah, they robbed this National Guard armory and caused a shit ton of property damage. Um, And only three days later, because they just wanted to do all the things... Uh, September 23rd, 1970, they went and they robbed a bank in Brighton, Massachusetts, using the handguns that they had gotten, a shotgun, and a submachine gun. And when a police officer that first arrived on the scene, police officer Walter Schroeder, tried to stop the robbery, William Gilday shot him in the back. And unfortunately, Officer Schroeder died from his injuries, but the fivesome did get away with $26,000 cash and started to plan a federal government overthrow. Who? Topical. <laughs> very topical. This yeah. entire episode is very topical yeah. for multiple reasons. Um, so I like to say the dollar values in today. So they got away with 26000 cash. That's just under $175,000 in today's money. Okay. So a decent haul. What Was the money also going to go to the Black Panthers with the... The guns, do we know? Or was that just kind of like spending money to help in all of their 
unclear if they were wanting to give the money to the Black Panthers or if they were simply creating a plot that possibly the Black Panthers had no idea was happening that they just decided they were going to do. Um, I should note that everyone involved in this story thus far is white. Okay. So okay. it's it's who knows what yeah. they thought they were doing or if they were supported by the Black Panthers organization. I don't know. But there was no further mention of Black Panthers other than their initial idea was that they wanted to arm the Black Panthers. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That was interesting. Um, what's more interesting is that very quickly, uh, the men were all caught for the robberies. I mean, <laughs> not quite surprising me. <laughs> <laughs> the women were not caught immediately, but the men were. Uh, Stanley ended up dying in prison uh, when he made a bomb to try and escape, and it went off oh, prematurely. Boy. So. And this is why I'm not surprised that the men were caught. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so, all right. so the men were caught, like, at the scene of the bank robbery, or, like, shortly thereafter shortly thereafter they all had the getaway cars but very quickly after like apparently the guys did not act with any discretion after the fact yeah that that sounds right to me there, there was an <laughs> abundance of confidence well One yeah might they, call it arrogance yeah they probably got a little bit too cocky after they got away from the national guard <laughs> armory and then they're like ah oh, bank is nothing it's small yeah. potatoes it certainly looks that way um, so the other guys, Robert Valeri, uh, he flipped and he testified against William Gilday uh, to cut a deal. So he ended up receiving 25 years for his involvement in the robbery. And William Gilday was sentenced to death. Pretty harsh sentences. Granted, just under a million dollars property damage against National Guard and then 175k from a bank. And William Gilday did kill a police officer. Yes. I get it. Okay. But still, it doesn't necessarily make it right. Yes. <laughs> it was kind of interesting. Um, I, I have, like, a very skewed perception, I think, of what kind of sentences are assigned to things because it's just so far outside my scope of perception oh. <laughs> and understanding. Uh, every sentencing, well, not every sentencing, so the, well, you know what? We'll get into that. I will not jump ahead in my story. I will not jump ahead because we're getting close to it. Okay. So, uh, so Catherine, Catherine's apartment was actually raided by the police. They knew that she was involved and they found evidence, uh, at her apartment, but both she and Susan were a little smarter about it. Uh, I don't know if maybe the guys got caught and they got wind of it before or what, but they basically hightailed it out of town and went, Peace. We're going to go travel the country and we're going to hide in women's communes for as long as we possibly can. So this is basically why they ended up on the FBI's most wanted list. They had committed these crimes and they were out on the lam and the FBI couldn't freaking find them. Gotcha. So they were trying to get any kind of info they could from the public. Yeah. FBI's most wanted list. I was going to ask, but this has answered my question. I was going to ask yeah. whether the, the three men were also on the, <laughs> the most wanted list Maybe. at the time, but... They, they got caught, so... <laughs> they got caught quite quickly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Susan was captured in 1975. So, she lasted oh, five, five years. years. Um, and she ended up serving five years in prison for her involvement. And... That person died down at that point, I guess. No? No death penalty? Uh, I don't actually know exactly why there was not 
something more severe. I think the general presumption in their defense was that their involvement was mostly because Catherine was dating Stanley. Mm-hmm. So who knows what the the real answer was. Yeah. But, yeah. So Catherine, on the other hand, though, um, she was never technically caught. Oh, Oh. So, the last recorded okay. sighting of Catherine Power was in Kentucky in 1974. Um, Catherine evaded them so well that she was able to successfully assume an alias, Alice Louise Metzinger, and moved to Oregon, where she gave birth to her son, Jamie. And since the FBI's most wanted list was not providing any leads, she was actually removed from it in 1984. Okay. So, overall, she lived an extraordinarily normal life with her son, her boyfriend, friends, job, therapist, all of it. Um, But Catherine did struggle with clinical depression, and during one of her therapy sessions, ended up confessing to her therapist that she was a fugitive and that she didn't really want to live under an assumed name anymore. So kick-ass therapist went you know what you don't want to live under an assumed name anymore why don't we do mock scenarios to get you ready to surrender so they did like emdr um, and different kinds of therapy scenarios to help Catherine work up to negotiating what question what's emdr oh let me google it one (laughs) moment like electromagnetic document resolution. That's the best I can come up with, but that's nothing so, to do with therapy. Okay, so EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It's okay. I've actually done this with my therapist. It's a technique where you use um, some kind of pattern, normally tapping from left to right. So you tap right, left, right, left, just alternate. Um, I've always done tapping on my knees or my shoulders. And while you do this, you try and move your eyes back and forth. And for some reason, uh, the rapid eye movement while envisioning yourself working through a scenario, like visualizing it and walking through it, helps reduce the traumatic response surrounded with it. Okay. Uh, it's used a lot for PTSD patients and people who come back from active war zones. All right. Yeah. So it's kind of fascinating. The more you know. Yeah. rainbow motion yeah Yeah, that that was great for the podcast listeners (laughs) i made a rainbow with my hand visual cues are fun (laughs) (laughs) okay so so catherine worked with her therapist to uh get ready for this and september 15th 1993 after 23 years successfully evading the fbi catherine power surrendered surrendered to the authorities having negotiated a sentence of 8 to 12 years for the bank robbery and 5 years to be served concurrently with the prior 8 to 12 years with an additional $10,000 fine for the National Guard armory crimes. Um, She also had a probation condition that she could not profit from her crime. So, like, she couldn't go and write a book about it or write a documentary or anything and make money off of it. So... When asked, like, why she was surrendering after having gotten away with it for 23 years, um, Catherine said, he, Officer Schroeder's death, was shocking to me, and I have had to examine my conscience and accept any responsibility I have for the event that led to it, as well as stating that the 
illegal acts I committed arose not from any desire for personal gain, but from a deep philosophical and spiritual commitment that if a wrong exists, one must take active steps to stop it, regardless of the consequences to oneself in comfort or security. So basically, she was seeing the civil unrest, she was seeing the Vietnam War, and she so violently opposed all of it, with reason, um, that, that she felt she had to do something about it. Yeah. But she couldn't live with not taking responsibility for her actions anymore. That's yeah. pretty impressive for therapy back in the 80s. I mean, I know, still... right? <laughs> I'm just like, whew. Yeah. That's one damn good therapist. Yeah. Also, just like, way to have a moral compass. Yeah. Kudos. Yeah. A lot of people nowadays don't have that. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about Angela Davis for a bit now. Angela. Okay. Angela. I remembered AD, but. <laughs> yes. So Angela Davis was born in January 26th, 1944 in Birmingham, Alabama in the Dynamite Hill neighborhood. Um, Angela was one of four kids with two brothers and a sister and in a African-American family. So the neighborhood they grew up in was called Dynamite Hill because in the 50s, the area was bombed by people who were trying to intimidate and drive out the middle-class African-American families that had settled there. <sighs> and Boy. yet another episode of why I'm disappointed in my country's history. Yeah. It keeps going. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is going to be a sidebar, but it's just crazy to me how history just repeats itself and repeats itself and repeats itself because there's still stuff like this going on throughout the country. I think you're going to have comments later on in this story. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so Angela, having uh, grown up in Dynamite Hill and everything, uh, it's probably not too shocking to you. She ended up attending a segregated black elementary school and middle school while, yeah, impressively, like, her mother was out being a national officer and leading organizer for the Southern Negro Youth Congress, which was an organization to build alliances among so Southern African Americans with roots in communism. So she was out doing her thing to try and better the world. Yeah, uh, lead up to the, the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. You said 1944 from yep. when she was born? Makes sense, because I think the Brown versus Board of Education decision that uh, got rid of segregated uh, schools came late 50s, early 60s. It's kind of part of the It's shocking how recent it was. Yeah. Like, I, I swear to you, when I learned about all of this in school, I thought it was like 500 years ago. Which is impossible, obviously, but, like, my brain was like, oh, that shit's bullshit. That's definitely a long-ass time ago. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, tur turns out it's extraordinarily recent and very sad. Yeah, no, you can't just say, oh, yeah, the Civil War ended slavery in this country because then there was Reconstruction and Jim Crow Blech. laws and all of that that didn't end. Just, you can make the argument that a lot of it still hasn't ended, but... 60 years ago for the civil rights movement, 50, 50 to 60 years ago now. That's it's very recent in it's our very, recent. very young history as a as a country. Yeah. Okay, so uh, so on that, that was a great tangent, honey. I liked it. <laughs> history lesson for the day brought to you by... I liked it. <laughs> 
So, so Angela grew up, obviously, surrounded by, like, one, really strong people, and two, um, communists from her mother's connections. So, just as a quick reminder, communism is defined as a system in which goods are owned in common and are available to all as needed. Uh, the major difference here from socialism is generally identified as, like, whether or not you adhere to Karl Marx's teachings about communism, which I don't know exactly what those are, but... Oh, I could have told you in high school we had to do some, some stuff with Karl could've, Marx. I probably but... could have told you in high school too, but I didn't have time to look that up. Yeah. But that's the difference between the two. Let's not confuse them. Um, so Angela grew up hearing about communism forever, like all through her developmental period. And it, it played a huge role in her life. Um, Angela. So communism was not a red herring for her. <laughs> My good God. <laughs> No, it was not. Uh, so Angela also grew up. <laughs> what? Why are you laughing? Sorry, the podcast listeners. Are, that, that's a reference to one of my favorite movies, Clue. <laughs> one of our favorite movies. Well, yeah, I was going to tell the podcast listeners that it's one of the first movies we bonded over. It's, it's true. It's actually one of the first things. This is going to be very nerdy, but... <laughs> It's one of the first things that made me fall in love with you. Oh, <laughs> sweet honey. On today's episode of Love. <laughs> okay, okay. Back, yeah, get back to the story. <laughs> back to civil unrest. Back to this. Back to this. Okay, so Angela, uh, along with growing up around communism, also grew up going to church and actively participating in like the local church youth group. Very Southern. And she, like Catherine, was also a part of Girl Scouts. Uh, in 1959, she, and I did not know Girl Scouts did things like this, so I'm like extra proud to say I at any point in time was part of Girl Scouts. Um, I was a brownie. I didn't go much further. But in 1959, apparently, Angela marched and picketed with the Girl Scouts to protest racial segregation in Birmingham, Alabama. Nice. I had no idea Girl Scouts did that kind of stuff, so that's I found that very cool. Yeah. So moving up through Angela's life, in her junior year of high school, Angela was placed in a integrated school, the Elizabeth Irwin High School, uh, located in Greenwich Village in the north, by way of a Quaker program called American Friends Service Committee, which helped african-american uh students get placed into non-segregated and integrated that's the word integrated schools in a more progressive path than possibly just waiting for segregation to end Um, so while at her new school she ended up being recruited by a group called advance which was a communist youth group communism plays a big part in angela's story (laughs) So from that youth group and from her high school, Angela ended up attending Brandeis University, same as Catherine and Susan, uh, on scholarship. So she was one of three African-American students in her class. And while while she studied there, she also worked part-time and traveled as much as she could afford to. Wow. I know, right? Yeah. This single African-American woman working and traveling in the early 60s alone. Ah, she's yeah. awesome. And to be one of three. And one one of three. And it also, like, women were not 
well accepted in higher education still at that point in time, which was kind of one of the founding portions of Brandeis University. I was going to go back to Brandeis's mission statement or whatever it was. Yeah. So just just kind of fascinating. Um, So Angela ended up, I'm going to list a few of her travels, ended up traveling and studying at a few different places. Uh, One being France. She studied abroad in Paris at the, oh, I'm going to mispronounce this, Biarritz and the Sorbonne. Uh, mainly studying French and French philosophy, specifically French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre. So after doing that, she also ended up traveling to Helsinki, Finland, where she attended the World Festival of Youth and Students. Uh, Angela was welcomed home from that trip by the FBI and an interview for her attendance at a, quote, festival that was a communist-sponsored event. Oh. I didn't realize that the government was allowed to uh, interview people for going to a festival in another country. So, I well. I, I didn't real. I guess I didn't realize how against communism the U.S. was yeah, at that I mean, time. The, like the I fi- didn't get it. <laughs> the fifties, you had the whole Joseph McCarthy thing with all of the communism hearings in Congress, and basically just. It, it the play the crucible is kind of based on the hysteria that was around that bold of you to assume i've read or seen the crucible well, it's it's basically <laughs> saying that it it i don't know if He's you would smarty. call it satire or parody or what but the crucible is basically play about the salem witch trials where people are just accusing other oh. people of being witches and they can't prove or disprove it um it's a bunch of young girls in this town that don't want to get caught for something that they did so they're just like throwing accusations and that's basically what communism was like oh it's just like well i think you're a communist buckle in because there's going to be a theme related to that okay uh so other travels that angela was able to take in her early 20s ish assuming college age here Um, She went to Frankfurt, Germany and studied philosophy there. She studied abroad at the University of Frankfurt. She also did graduate studies in San Diego, California at the University of California, San Diego. She also attended a lecture on the dialectics of liberation in London, England while studying at UC San Diego. And she earned a doctorate degree in philosophy from Humboldt University in East Berlin before this is all after that interview with the fbi yep this is all after that interview with the fbi um so she did all of that prior to settling at ucla in los angeles california um where angela was working as an assistant professor and she had chosen ucla even though she had been recruited by both swarthmore and princeton because she wanted to go live in the more urban location okay so, like, very clearly, Angela was and is an extraordinarily educated woman. She's, yeah. like, massive activist, super feminist. Yeah. Um, current, doctorate. Doctorate. Current par- uh, member of the Communist Party USA. And, like, was affiliated with the LA chapter of the Black Panther Party. So, like, very civilly involved. Yeah. Like, she, she was there to make a difference and had a voice, which is awesome. So, September 19th, 1969, Angela was fired from her position at UCLA because the University of California instituted a bullshit policy to not hire communists. 
supposedly at the urging of then-governor Ronald Reagan. Sounds about right. So the firing ended up going to court and was overturned with the statement that affiliation with a political party or ideology was not a valid reason for termination. Less than a year later, though, on June 20th in 1970, Angela was fired again. So she was able to resume her job, and then she ended up being fired again. Um, This time, the reason was, quote, inflammatory language in speeches, specifically her statement that the demonstrations at People's Park in Berkeley had been a situation where police killed, brutalized, and murdered. Um, The American Association of University Professors ended up censuring the board of the UCLA for Angela's firing because that, again, they did not deem to be appropriate, but it it wasn't taken court and it wasn't overturned. Um, Do you know what the People's Park incident was? Uh, Not off the top of my head. Okay, so I didn't either. So the People's Park um, incident was a situation where an area in Berkeley, California, called the People's Park, that seemed to be like one city block area that... People used, um, university students used, local residents used, um, merchants used to voice their appreciation for the community's efforts to improve the neighborhood. People often would, like, go plant trees and flowers, and it was, it was kind of hippieville. Cool. It was hippieville. That's great. The the community garden from Parks and Rec. Yeah. (laughs) Community. Yes, exactly. The community garden from Parks and Rec. Um, but... Not everyone liked it. Specifically, again, Ronald Reagan called the Berkeley campus and the People's Park area a haven for communist sympathizers, protesters, and sex deviants, and ended up sending a California Highway Patrol and Berkeley police officers to clear everything within an eight-block radius and install a chain-link fence so people could not access it. So, having been restricted from their gathering place, people went elsewhere and, like, tried to do their normal thing in a different spot. Yeah. But someone accidentally incited the crowd to violence. They Like, they did not intend to cause a riot, but they did because they had said something along the lines of, like, we want the park, and their microphone was immediately cut from them because they mentioned the park. But what that turned into was people then got furious yeah. and started chanting, let's go take the park, and walked down the road to People's Park, gotcha. where they then uh, were intercepted by the remaining, let me get the number, 159 officers that were still there from the fence setup, and later they were met by additional officers who were sent in for a total of 791 officers between... Whoa. Yeah, it gets... 800 officers? It gets worse. Um, oh, this is... It's sounding similar to, I just watched recently the Trial of the Chicago 7 uh, movie on, oh gosh, was that Netflix? I don't know. All I, the, I all the no streaming idea. services. Or so. <laughs> but it was a similar incident where there was a rally. Yeah. I, it wasn't about a specific park or anything, but there ended up being a pretty a clash between a ton of police officers for these peaceful protesters. and. Yeah. Sounds like it started pretty similarly where this know, accidental was said, incitement. accidental thing happened and mm-hmm. then just kind of spiraled. Uh, emotions fly. Yeah. Um, so, so there's these almost 800 officers. And at this point, the crowd that was trying to get the park was at approximately 6,000 people. Okay. Yep. So. Lots. Um, 
But on yeah, seven thousand people for um, one city block. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, the officers, the eight hundred officers, were authorized by Edwin Meese the Third, Reagan's chief of staff, to use whatever methods they chose to disperse the crowd. Okay. So I didn't realize that Reagan was governor of California. That yeah, I guess that was only like ten years before he was president. But... Yeah. So these officers, the the items that they chose was they wore full riot gear, they obscured their badge numbers, they went into the crowds of people swinging nightsticks, they tear gassed people, they shot buckshot into the backs of people that were fleeing, uh, they also used large caliber rifles on a few people, and ultimately over 120 people were injured and admitted to hospitals from the 6,000 crowd. Um with likely a much higher count as a lot of people were known to avoid hospitals to avoid arrest. Sounds even more like the, the mm-hmm. whole trial of the Chicago 7 that I just brought up. Also, call back to earlier, history just repeats itself it and really repeats does. itself, doesn't it? I mean, we haven't gotten past this excessive use of force by police. Yeah. Uh, so, so you're probably still wondering, like, okay, when in the world does Angela actually get added to the FBI's most wanted list? Well, it has to happen in 1970, right? You it it does happen this. in 1970 on August 7th. You're correct. Oh, well, before the other two? Sorry, she gets added August 14th. Um, but, yeah, because I've been working my way backwards through them. So before mm-hmm. the other two, ultimately. But August 7th, 1970... Jonathan Jackson, uh, a young black man, if I remember correctly, went into a courtroom where James McLean was being tried for something that I could not figure out. Um, And he went in heavily armed and took control of the courtroom through use of guns and hostages. So he armed the defendant, James McLean, as well as a few uh, prisoners from San Quentin, there that were just there for other hearings and between james mclean the san quentin prisoners and himself they took judge harold haley the prosecutor and three female jurors hostage during the incident jonathan james judge haley and another san quentin prisoner william christmas were all killed so angela's not been said anywhere in here yet uh it was later found that several of the guns used in the event were bought by Angela only a few days prior, and she had been corresponding with the Soldad brothers, uh, which were inmates at Soldad Prison that had, what is the word I'm looking for, allegedly, not allegedly, been accused of um, killing a prison guard. Okay. Jonathan Jackson was the brother of one of the Soledad brothers. Okay. So a little roundabout here, yeah. but basically the uh, the con- like the decision that was made was okay. You know what? You're definitely involved, and because California state considers quote all persons considered in the commission of a crime, whether they directly committed the act constituting the offense, to be principals in any crime to be committed, basically you are involved whatsoever. We're going to try you as if you did it hmm. yourself. So. She basically purchased a gun. Did she give it? Unclear. It, it's unclear whether she unclear. gave it or it was taken or yeah. anything. But because uh, she She's was just involved... just exercising her Second Amendment right. right? 
so Angela was charged with the ag aggravated kidnapping and first degree murder in the death of Judge Harold Haley. Um, as a result this of a, this, was it a federal or a state court? Do state. We know? State. Okay. State. Um, yeah, because this was under California state law that it was yeah. being issued. So August 14, 1970, a warrant was issued for Angela's arrest, and just four days later, on August 18th, the FBI director at the time, J. Edgar Hoover, listed Angela on the FBI's most wanted list. For purchasing a gun? Basically, yeah. She gets on the... Did they not have a lot of other criminals out there? Oh, you, you forget. <laughs> She's also a communist. Oh, yeah. Communist <laughs> and female and African-American. Uh, yep, pretty much. Uh, so Angela successfully fled for several months. Uh, she did this by traveling at night and just couch surfing with trusted friends. But October 13th, 1970, the FBI caught up to Angela at a Howard Johnson Motor Lodge in New York City. Uh, and when she was caught, and this is going to really date it, President Richard Nixon congratulated the FBI for capturing, quote, the dangerous terrorist Angela Davis. I'm sorry. What the freaking Flip. Oh my gosh. No. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Coda. Mom's yeah. getting riled up. <laughs> Just oh uh, the, the, so the disparity. The disparity yeah. is so strong so, between the different yeah, racial she, She's a terrorist for purchasing a gun. And, uh, I, I mean, how far into current political events do we want to get here? <laughs> uh, give, me, give me a few minutes and then we can rant. Okay. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> She was arrested. Richard Nixon calls her a terrorist, yada, yada. Uh, January 5th, 1971, Angela pleaded innocent in the Marin County Superior Court where she was basically, sorry, she, she entered her plea, um, pleaded innocent, and she was then led away to be held in a women's detention center in solitary confinement oh my gosh. while awaiting trial. So... People were fucking pissed. Yeah. Thousands of, with good reason, yeah. thousands of people organized to have Angela released. Um, all told, there were over 200 local committees and 67 international committees working to free Angela, Whoa. including, and you'll like this one, a song by John Lennon and Yoko Ono titled <laughs> Angela. Oh, so, wow. Well, I don't I don't listen to much of the John Lennon and Kohono stuff. Either that way. Is, that is cool. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah. damn, okay, Angela. Yeah. You had pull. Um yeah. so obviously there were a shit ton of people in her corner and it worked out really well. So June 4th, sorry, 1972, after 16 months incarceration, Angela Wait, she was in solitary confinement for 16 months. Yeah. Oh my Gosh. Yeah, and I'm amazed. She must have had, like, had solid oh. philosophical meditation or something, because like I would have gone batshit. Yeah, well, yeah, she. I would you said have. she had done a lot of the like philosophy. Stuff oh yeah, she she must have and... must be must have been and oh, actively man. be a very self sustaining person. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's crazy. All for purchasing a gun. Yep. Uh, but after 16 months incarceration, Angela was granted release on bail. Uh, so her bail was set at $100,000 and was paid by a dairy farmer named Roger McAfee and another person named Steve Sparcino. And some of her legal fees were also paid for by the United Presbyterian Church. Okay. When a church backs you up, I mean, yeah. come on, they don't pay for anything. 
so June 4th, 1972, Angela was tried and found not guilty by an all-white jury. Wow. And it was stated that the fact that she owned the guns was insufficient evidence to claim that she had plotted the courtroom takeover. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> Duh. Thank you. Yeah. Duh. Common sense won the day on that one, unfortunately, after almost two years of incarceration. Yeah, so uh so so let's let's talk for a moment, because it's it bothered me a lot when I finished my research. Uh the fact that two white women had such a freaking easy time in the same year from the same university for much worse acts than a black woman that bought a gun. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I I was pissed. Yeah. Like, just, what the fuck? That's so messed up. What is wrong with our country? And especially, like, come on. People try to claim that the people who stormed the Capitol on the 6th were not domestic terrorists. If anyone disagrees with me, eh, you're listening to the wrong podcast. Uh, Decide what you want, but that's how I feel. Like, they are 100% domestic terrorists. If that had been anyone of color, anyone of color, they would have been going full people's park on them. Well, and it's amazing to me that there were 800 cops for this People's Park incident, and we as a country and government had, yeah, we had warnings about January 6th, because the commander-in-chief at the time was saying, hey, January 6th, we're gonna storm the Capitol. I mean, he probably didn't use those words, but, um, Yeah. Can I also, sorry, I also, yes, this might be it. me projecting, do it. but you said that Angela was only able to be on the run for about two months, yep. whereas the white women, the five were years on the run and for 23 five years, years and 23 years, <laughs> and like, that's just because people don't, like, the majority of this country likely is just like, oh, another white person, fine, whatever, but yep. if it's someone of color or whatnot, they're like, oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. And just, that's me projecting. I don't know all the circumstances that led to I, I just, different paths, but it's all upsetting, and yeah. I it makes me very mad. It makes me very yeah. mad. Like, don't go ahead. Try and tell me that there's not racial prejudice in our justice system. Yeah. Uh, the facts say otherwise. Yeah. It, they just do. So. Well, I mean. That's, she at least got... She got out. Yeah, like, she, she had so many people and, in her corner. I was so happy about yeah. that. Uh, but but that's my... <laughs> that's my yeah. rant on racial prejudice yeah. and as well as, like, multiple stories. Can you imagine stories. what she's thinking, like, this month in particular? Oh, my God. She's probably she's still alive. Yeah, she's sitting there like, what the fuck? I spent two years almost in solitary confinement for purchasing a gun? And yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Sorry, I'm swearing. <laughs> uh, we we put the explicit tag on the yeah. podcast for a reason. Uh, yeah. Stasia and I swear uh, like sailors. Yeah, I know. I listen. I I know you know. But I feel like you guys do a decent job of. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say you guys. That's a very Washington state. Y'all. I don't, yeah. That's my phrase. Y'all. Y'all. <laughs> it's very I, gender I feel like inclusive. Y'all. Uh, it's it doesn't flow off my tongue, and I'm trying to. <laughs> um, feel like y'all managed to like keep it contained oh uh, one or two maybe maybe i'm (laughs) i think maybe you're just used to me swearing around the house honey (laughs) happens less often than you than you think Eh. i think okay well regardless (laughs) uh, that's my rant do you want some palate cleansers you want to help me find some puns 
yes. Hey, uh, Rory. Yes. Do you need an arc to save two of every animal? I know a guy. Oh. I that took know me a, a that took me guy. <laughs> that took me way too long. <laughs> hey, Lauren. Yeah. A joke about communism isn't funny unless everyone gets it. <laughs> okay, that one is funny, actually. <laughs> you know, I uh, I woke up this morning. It was an eye-opening experience. <laughs> Well, that's that's dad level right there. <laughs> I love it. Did you hear uh, the guy who invented the door knocker got a Nobel Prize? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Did you hear about the uh, big picture ending up in jail? Something about him being framed. It was framed! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rory. What'd the hamburger name its baby? Um, ground beef? Patty! Patty. <laughs> Did you hear about the cheese factory that exploded in France? There was nothing left but debris. Uh, I mean, I like that one. Do you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it didn't sound like... It's well, like, it's, it's oh, really, it's, that's how you know so a pun bad, is good. It's just reminding me of uh, Dexter's Lab. Omelette du fromage. fromage. <laughs> not that I'm dating myself or anything. No, you're not dating yourself. You're dating me. Okay, that but uns- listen, yeah, ah! listeners, that was made up off the spot. That wasn't even from a website. Ah. Do you know why you should never trust a train? They've got loco motives. <laughs> I just love it because you don't yeah. ever laugh when you like. It's just oh. yeah, it's it's a good thing. disappointed yeah. sigh. But that means it was a good one. Yeah. What was Forrest Gump's email password? What? You've only seen this movie once. So. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. One, Forrest, oh, one. Oh, dear good God. I was trying to figure out how you can make that, like, a pun, and I was not coming up with anything. Oh, I did not love that movie. I know everyone loves that movie, but I did not love that movie. Jenny was so upsetting. Yeah, people are very divided on Jenny. Well, I am um, anti-Jenny. <laughs> Very anti-Jenny. She's definitely... Now we're going to get into... We should start a movie podcast if we're going (laughs) to... Yeah, we can do that if you want. brought up Forrest Gump. Coming soon to Anchor, Rory and Lauren's movie podcast. (laughs) Where Lauren dislikes every movie that's not a Hallmark Christmas movie. Not really. But it's not far off. Besides like Galaxy Quest and Clue. I love Galaxy (laughs) Quest and Clue. Legally Blonde. Yes, also in my top five. Easily. Okay, let's let's see if we can find one more pun and then we'll wrap it up. What do you call an angry musician flipping someone off? A songbird. I was trying to figure out how you make song <laughs> or not songbird, but bird fit in there. Why was Dumbo so sad? Why? He felt irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll let that one be the last one. I like that one. It's cute. It's sad, but it's cute. Yeah. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening and check back next Sunday for another episode. If you need any extra spookums, check out our mini stories at waittopanic.com. And as always, if you have a story to share, send us an email at waittopanicpodcast at gmail.com. Make good choices and remember, wait wait to to panic. panic. (laughs) (laughs) That was my attempt at the jukebox change. (laughs) Oh, man.